Jack here. Just one quick announcement today, which is, if you haven't, please head to our website, JustHandsPoker.com. Uh, there you'll find lots of awesome resources like our strategy blog and other ways to engage with us, like our live coaching event with Thinking Poker this March 25th and 26th uh, in the New York City area. Uh, so for that and more, head to our website, JustHandsPoker.com. All right, thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, Zach. Hello, Jack. How are you doing on this, I, I would like to say fine day, but we are not in the same location, uh, so I'm not sure if it's a fine day for you. Where are you in the world today right now? I am in Westchester, New York, and it's a bit dreary today. I imagine not as nice as Florida right now. I would say Florida has a higher upside, but right now it's a little drizzly. But Florida, you know, great place, great poker, so glad to be here. But this week, we're not going to do a hand from one of the juicy Florida games. Um, we're not going to do a hand from Jack and I's recent trip to the Parks Casino, nor we're going to have a guest on. We are going to do an old-fashioned listener hand, uh, and Jack read through a little bit of it and told me it's quite funny, so I'm excited. Yeah, this one uh, happened at Maryland Live 1-2, a game I have not played very much of, but I have played Waiting for 2-5 at Maryland Live, and it's a pretty awesome, <laughs> it's a pretty unbelievably awesome game for anyone who hasn't checked that out. So the relevant players in this hand, five players, VPIP, uh, our correspondent says, I have only two hours at this table thus far, so all reads are preliminary. Small Blind, a.k.a. Sleepy, is a mid-60s dude that has literally been falling asleep at the table. He's been playing around 15% of hands and is somewhat sticky, but I've not seen him show any aggression yet. As an example, the last orbit I saw him take a check call, check call, check through line on a 6-queen, six 6-jack-8 six board holding king-6 in the big blind in an unraised pot. Okay, that's, that's fairly passive. Owner of the gun was a mid-30s woman who seemed very comfortable playing and clearly knew many of the regs and dealers. She was a chronic limper that had not yet adjusted to my raises and played mostly straightforward post-flop, but also seemed capable of aggression, occasionally possibly weighted towards straws. Okay. Uh, Under the gun plus one was a late 40s, early 50s reg man. <laughs> <laughs> I like that term, reg man. Yeah. Who I had played with before. He also limped somewhere around 60% of hands and has, in my experience, played very passively, only showing aggression with the, what he perceived as the nuts. Uh, that sounds like a guy you want at your table. Oh, yeah. He's also a fitterful type with a little stickiness. Under the Gun Plus 3, a.k.a. Tanky McJackass, <laughs> was a mid-30s to 40s man wearing sunglasses, axe body spray, and a bad attitude after he had been shown a bluff. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know was, those type of players. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he was playing somewhere around 20 to 25% of hands, seemed to understand the position is a positive, but again was quite passive. I had, observed him, I had observed him twice give truthful information about his hand strength during a hand. He was quite sticky for low absolute bet sizes, but folded most of the time the bets got larger than $60, apparently without regard to pot size. Wait, uh, and, and before we talk about the, you know, now the hero saying what, you know, what they did... Um, if you were considering sending in a hand to Just Hands Poker to have us analyze for the podcast or to maybe just email you back, 
this is the way to get a response or this is the way to get on a podcast. Give like an in-depth, good description uh, that is also hilarious. So good job, yeah. <laughs> this player. I will say that this particular read, uh, when bets get larger than $60, this player will often fold. You know, in a two-hour session where this guy's playing 20 to 25% of hands, I'm not going to consider that a super strong read. Although this this description is unbelievable, uh, you know, for comedic and informative reasons. Yeah, I mean, the important thing is, like, it's always better to say, okay, not that this player was loose and aggressive, but, like, the types of things that they did. And some of the things, like Jack just mentioned, with a really small sample size, you'll hold a little bit of weight, but other things you'll hold a lot of weight. Like, someone that check-called, you know, the effective nuts in a limp pot, that, like, king-six on a six-queen-six board. Like, that's really important. Even though you just saw one hand, you can now glean a lot of information. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Hero writes, I was in the cutoff. I am 41 and was still in office clothes. I was very clearly the most aggressive player at the table, but had been holding my preflop range to somewhere around 10% of hands in under the gun, under the gun plus two, increasing steadily to around 30% of hands uh, on the button and cutoff. I had been raising most of the hands I was playing, somewhere around 70%, 75% raise, and the rest limped. I suspect that both under the gun and tanky have noticed these tendencies, but for the rest... I'm not sure what they perceive. Okay. All right. Oh, one one thing I'll just say very quickly is that I wouldn't treat I wouldn't lump the button and cut off together. I understand why you might have done it just to write into us, but I think generally your button frequency should be a good deal higher than your cutoff frequency. But that's sort of a tangent that we don't need to go down right now. Cool. Okay. What are the effective stacks? Sleepy, six fifty. And I'm just going to remind myself, what seat... Okay, Sleepy's in the small blind. Under the gun. Under the gun was the mid-30s woman who limps and plays well post-flop. Mostly straight forward, though. Uh, has 240. Under the gun plus one was the reg man who limps around 6% of hands and plays very passively. Has about 140. Tanky, who uh, seems to ego-call small bets and plays we don't know that much about his post flop or pre flop game other than he plays about twenty to twenty five percent hand of hands and is positionally aware. He's under the gun plus three and he has three hundred forty dollars and Hero has six hundred twenty dollars. So then under the gun and under the gun plus one limp. Under the gun plus three tanky agonizes for around two minutes then limps. Uh and just before we move on there, yeah. if someone takes more than 30 seconds pre-flop, I'm going to say something. And if it happens a second time, I'm calling the clock. Uh, yep. You just can't you can't, can't be having that at like a 1-2 game, especially, you know. Yeah, and he, he doesn't <laughs> sound like he's so good for the game that it's no. worth pandering to him. And also, I, I mean, I recently played uh, at the session Zach and I alluded to at Parks. There was a guy who was tanking just to kind of be, he thought it was funny. And I had never played with him before and it was very early in the session and I called the clock twice. And he got off from the table for a little bit and one of the regs was upset at me because he's such a bad player, but he ended up coming back and dropped about 6K at the table uh, over 10 hours. So, you know, being rude to people doesn't, or not rude, uh, it's not rude to call the clock, but calling the clock on people doesn't necessarily mean they're going to leave. 
uh, even though they might be offended. Yeah, they'll probably perceive it as rude, especially if you're younger than them, in my experience. But, <laughs> um, you know, some, some players, especially uh, those that are, you know, aware of the fact that they're getting out of line, will just be like, okay, I guess this is this is fair. But back to the hand. So the hero has jack eight of spades in the cutoff and raises to $15. So I personally think this is too loose. Um, I just don't think it's a strong enough hand and you're, and you're going to get enough folds where it's going to be profitable to open this, especially with the small stack sizes. Um, under the gun plus one has just $140. Uh, under the gun has just about 100 big blinds, 200 something. Um, and I just am not going to expect to be getting many folds with this hand. And I think that given the descriptions, Hero can very profitably limp this hand in the cutoff. But I think raising is just going to be uh, an unprofitable raise here. Yeah, we didn't talk a ton about people's limp fold frequencies. We heard a couple of people were sticky, but I think the people who were sticky were pretty fit or fold. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem raising here, but I think if we expect to see the flop, you know, four or five way, this is just not a hand we're going to flop, you know, a hand that we want to get stacks in in a five-way pot very often. And with the bet size, or I mean, our stack is very unlikely to go in no matter what. Uh, but given our play, other players' stack sizes, that's not super unlikely. So, yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit more open to a raise than you are. Uh, but I would say that's contingent on, you know, you think it's pretty likely you're going to get some folds. Uh, and you might, if if you want some folds and a size of 15 never gets any folds pretty much ever, then I would just raise your sizing uh, across the board. Yeah, I'm using like kind of my baseline experience playing like, you know, I've probably played the one two game at Maryland Live, I don't know, maybe like twenty or thirty hours logged and just one two in general. And absent of any reads, like I'm gonna assume that it's gonna be like a relatively limp call happy table. But you know, if people were deeper and people played really fit or fold post flop, um and people limp fold it a little bit more, I can get behind the raise. Moving on, uh, small blind, sleepy, has to be woken, then quickly calls. And then the, the two limpers uh, fold to Tanky, who considers very, very carefully, gives a little speech about how bad players are these days, then calls. So just to, to recap, going to the flop, uh, now we have the small blind, sleepy, uh, has played very passively, uh, about $600 effective, and he called the raise in the small blind. The two initial limpers folded in early position, and then Tanky uh, limp and begrudgingly calls. Man, I'm disappointed we're not going to get more uh, <laughs> more action out of our you know our two other friends from from the description, but I guess Sleepy and Tanky will have to do. Yeah. He probably would have named the end of the gun another gun plus one players if they got post-flop. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and read the flop action? Sure. So the flop is the ace of spades, seven of clubs, three of spades, and Hero is holding the jack and eight of spades, so it's a flush draw. And he writes, the action checks to me, quickly for sleepy and slowly for tanky. <laughs> and he writes, I'm usually betting sets, two pair, ace king, ace queen, as well as my flush draws, and don't see a reason to change. I bet $25. So b before we, we move on, 
let's kind of just talk about the plan here. I think against these players, like betting two pair, really just a seven and sets is kind of a no brainer. Ace king, ace queen, of course, but I, I think you're probably missing missing value against these players. Um especially because small blind plays so passively and you're fairly deep with him. Uh that I, I like betting most aces here. Um I would definitely not be checking back ace ten or ace jack. And he also writes, I'm betting all my flush draws. I'm not necess- necessarily sure it's correct to bet all your flush draws in this spot, but I think I think one could definitely make the case, obviously, for exploitive reasons to just bet every single flush draw shown up with here. I think if if the hero had like a slightly tighter opening range, um, I could see betting all the flush draws. But if hero is going to be opening jack eight suited, they're probably opening ten eight. They're probably just opening a lot more, you know, suited hands than I would in this spot given the game dynamics. So I think their frequencies might be off if they bet every single flush draw here. Well, I mean. How many flush draws to bet is a pretty complex question. I definitely agree with you that I would I would value bet ace jack here. I think ace ten you could make a case for. I, I wouldn't probably value bet lower aces since I think we're not super likely to get value from worse. And I think Sleepy will probably be holding a lot of strong aces once he calls this bet, just because I think he's very unlikely to three bet any of them pre flop. So I think, you know, trying to go Trying to go for three streets of value with ace nine, I think is a bad idea. That doesn't mean you, you can bet the flop and not go for three streets of value. But I think since you're in position, you'd be better off checking a hand like that on the flop here. Yeah. Uh, so agreed. Uh and as far as betting all the flush draws, I mean we have a we have a wide enough value range that I think from a balance perspective we can definitely get away with betting all of our flush draws, especially since there's not that many straight draws. You know, this board is such that our only straight draws are probably going to be four, five, and five, six. We might want to bet some, we'll probably want to bet all of our eight, nine. We might want to bet, you know, our nine, 10 of clubs, that kind of stuff. And we'll want, we'll want some other bluffs from like a balance perspective. We'd want some other bluffs and we want to check some of our flush draws. But I guess against these players, I think betting the flop uh, with a flush draw is not really always going to be a great idea because I don't think we're going to face too many bets. Uh, I don't think we have to be worried about getting bluffed on the turn that often by air. So I think it might be worth just drawing, uh, especially with like your king high flush draws, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, since getting to an overflush point is going to be really great and... Uh, but I, I could definitely see a case for betting those too. Yeah. So either way, we're we're nitpicking. The general plan is is good. Good job, hero. Um. So hero bets twenty five dollars. Um. Into I guess around like a fifty dollar pot. Um. I definitely like betting a little bit bigger here, probably like thirty five. But I think the the bet is good. And sleepy pretty quickly raises to fifty dollars. Tinky recites what I think must be the soliloquy from Rounders 4. This time it is personal. (laughs) Says he can't believe he's folding this hand and throws the cards down. My thought here is with the absolute lack of previous aggression from Sleepy, this is almost always a made hand, probably two pair or better, with only a very few possible flush draws, and maybe, just maybe, some of the I am tired of you pushing people around air. 
While there's no timing tell for Tanky, given his previous tendency to announce info about his hand, I think it's possible he's folding a bad ace here, making me think ace-king, ace-queen for sleepy is slightly less likely. Given that, a stronger hand seems likely, hopefully one that will pay me off if I bank my flush. The higher probability of a good hand also makes me hesitant to raise. So I consider for a few moments and then call. Yeah, don't raise. I think, I mean, I think this is a pretty clear call. Given, given the small bet here, I think it's likely we're going to get a very good price on the turn. And we're so deep that, you know, I think we're going to make, we're going to be able to make a very good bet fold on the river. You know, if we pink on the river and miss on the turn, uh, we might even be able to make a nice raise fold, uh, depending on the runout. So, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely like calling here. Uh, you know, we just have a lot behind, and I think it's a lot more likely that Sleepy is going to raise with a made hand than a better flush draw. So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, I mean, you know, he played passively with, like, the flop trips and, like, a limped pot, but you've seen him just play passively the entire time. He's an older guy, and... I think it's just very unlikely he has anything, but like you said, you know, like a two pair plus type hand here. Um, and I think it's never a mistake to call. And there's maybe some rare scenarios where, you know, three betting the flop is best, but I think this is just a really clear call and in position against a player like this, you'll be able to make, you know, really clear and profitable decisions on later streets. So I like the call. The turn is the nine of diamonds. Sleepy considers for 30 seconds and then checks. He writes, I now have a gut shot as well as a flush draw, and Sleepy's check here looks very weak to me, like maybe an attempt to steal on the flop that he has now given up. So I bet $50. My thought here is to blow him off any steal attempts before they can pair and maybe get him off single pair hands while charging any of the flush draws he may have. My plan, if called, is to bet around 300 if the straighter flush completes, hoping to catch a set or two pair in calling. So let's just stop here for a second. That part of the plan doesn't really seem congruent to me. Yeah. I think it's a lot more likely that this player is just like checking and playing a good hand passively. Maybe is like, I don't know, has two pair and thinks she might have a set and doesn't want to bet or some shit like that. Um, I think it's very unlikely that they were trying to steal on the flop for the reasons described as before. I think the fact that they checked makes it in retrospect, like a little bit more likely, but I still think the vast majority of their range are like made hands that are never folding. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate the plan. Uh, I actually don't hate the plan at all because it's such a strange card for him to decide to check. It really changes nothing. So, you know, we, we, we have to consider like what, what types of hands could our opponent have? He could have a flush draw that has decided to stop bluffing. He could have some very strange air hand, which seems unlikely. But, you know, now that he actually checked on this sort of totally innocent card, it seems less unlikely. Or he could have had a, a good flop, you know, value raise hand that he's just decided to check. He, he considered for 30 seconds and then he checked. So... I don't hate the little probing bet, you know, since if we might want to fold out some of that air. But the thing is, we could probably do that on the river. Yeah. So, you know, betting $50, I don't think we're actually getting him to fold any flush draws. So, uh, I don't know. This is so weird. This is such a weird spot. 
I mean, my my default is just like, you know, we're playing against an older guy who's been like sleeping at the table, and now he's suddenly like waking up and showing some type of aggression. I just don't think the older guy has enough air or draws in his range for this to be a profitable bluff. Again, it doesn't have to work that much of the time. He doesn't have that much air for this to be a profitable kind of probing bet if you think he's just going to play honestly and fold his air. Uh, but probably call with his draws, I guess. And maybe like weird one-pair hands that decided to raise the flop. Um, that's also something we never talked about on the flop. Like, you know, when he min-raises there, I think when Tanky folds and the way in which he did it, it's he very likely has an ace. Um, so combinatorically that makes aces a lot less likely for the small blind, but like a small raise to $50, he could, he could just be raising an ace to kind of see where he's at, kind of the old see where you're at min raise with top pair and then check on the turn just because he's like, oh shit, I don't know what to do now if he doesn't have like ace king. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's, that's so true. Uh, and I never think about that because it's so dumb. (laughs) But it happens, man. Uh, it definitely happens. Yeah. I think the fifty dollar bet doesn't have a huge amount of benefit that you might as well, I think, just check. Since I don't think you're folding out much that you would want to fold. And if you get checked to twice and you miss, then I think, you know, a bluff is in order. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, a small a small bluff where you not trying to fold out bad aces and just trying to fold out like air. Yeah. Or some type of weird misdraw. So <sighs> Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I actually hadn't read I hadn't read the bottom of this uh turn action, but I think I think our decision was you know, not to be results oriented, but Instead of just calling or folding, sleepy instead of min raises to a hundred dollars. That that's just consistent with, you know, sleepy normally has a very good hand here, even though he decided to check and that's weird. Yeah, I think the the kind of the double check raise from an older guy that's pretty <laughs> pretty nutted. Yeah, that's not a flush draw. So I would call. Yeah, so uh, you, you definitely have. Uh, you're not. Are you getting the direct odds here? So the pot was like around 150, um, and now you're 50 dollars to call and with a gut shot. Yeah, I think I think here is actually getting direct odds here. So super straightforward <laughs> call. <laughs> uh, I just did not think Sleepy was going to check raise us twice. And never underestimate uh, Sleepy. <laughs> so yeah, straight straightforward uh, call here. And Hero writes, um, you know, I'm never raising and been. I'm given great odds to call. That said, my plan has been blown to hell. <laughs> yes. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do from here unless I hit a hand. You were going to check or fold? Fold, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so the river is the jack of clubs, and Sleepy checked pretty quickly to me. Uh, Hero thinks about it for about a minute and then checks behind. My thinking here is that at this point, Sleepy's almost never holding a, a weak-made hand. He might still have a few bluffs if, if he decided to get frisky. I don't think so. Uh, and now my jack beats those. But yeah, the hero is right. If on the weird chance he does have some weird bluff, the jack does, you know, give him a, 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 a pair that now beats those hands. But yeah, I'm I'm not risking the triple check raise bluffer value. Yeah. <laughs> I think you have a super straightforward check behind. I'm going to expect to almost never be good here. Uh, but that's 
Okay. Yeah, just how dumb would you feel if if you got checkpoints all in here? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So the listener writes, I can't tell if I play this okay or terribly. I think the turn bet slash raise and the river decision are the major turning points, but can't really tell how good or bad they were. Mainly because it's clear from the outcome that my ranges were way off for this guy, maybe throughout the hand, but certainly after the flop check raise. Well, I think the one thing that we don't like was the turn bet. And I understand like the thought behind it because I, I was sort of trying to consider the positives and it, it felt decent to me. But that's just, I think, because it's such a strange situation that, you know, it takes a second to consider all the positives and negatives. And I think when you do that, it's clear that a check is just going to protect you a lot more. Like, I just don't think you're getting many folds. And the folds you were going to get, you could probably get on the river. So I think it's better just to protect ourselves against having to put too much money in the pot with just a draw that we're probably not folding. And so... Other than that turn bet, I, I, I like the way you played the hand a lot. I mean, we we talked about pre-flop, like, it might be better as a limp, but I think that's pretty marginal. So other than that probing turn bet, uh, which I think a check is clearly superior to, I like the way you played the hand a lot. Yeah, and I think, you know, even though this hand didn't work out for you, I think you're thinking about all the right stuff and, you know, making... Well, I, think that, uh-huh. I think the hand, we don't know what, what happened right no we we don't know what happened um uh, i think i think uh, the hand might have worked out what do you mean well if you, our form our hand history submission form you know the the actual results are coming up and he was said he was very off about the guy's range i mean i, I i'm not sure we lost yet oh okay yeah let me check sorry oh wow okay so villain had Ace ten of diamonds. So he okay, made, we did lose. <laughs> so he made like a see where I'm at raise on the flop, and then I guess like a I'm definitely good and I'm gonna milk this fish for all I can on the turn with the old check raise again. This is weird because the, the, this makes a lot of sense to me on the flop, even though it's it's a really bad play. But you just really rarely see this type of thing on the turn, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is surprising, but. There's so many so many hands you're going to have that you're going to make a ton of money against this guy playing this way that you just can't really feel bad. You know, even the river, uh, sorry, even the turn, you know, you made this, you made money on that call. So, yeah, I would just be glad we're, you're so deep with this guy. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot to say other than the don't fold, you know, your best bluff catchers to this guy's check raises in the future. And probably do fold all your worst bluff catchers. Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting. So this is something I talk about. I've talked about in some articles. Basically, at the lower stakes, you you wind up with these opponents who don't always know or either know that they should be polarized on certain actions, whether they know what polarized is or not. Some people, I think, have picked up on that, and some people have not. So against players who are polarized, it's normally – correct at these stakes to either fold all of our bluff catchers or call all of our bluff catchers, depending on whether uh, these players are going to be bluffing too much or be too value-heavy. And it'll almost always be too value-heavy. But then there are players who are not polarized and just take aggressive actions with the wrong hands. And against those players, it's, I think, best to 
defend your best bluff catchers very aggressively and fold out your fold all your worst bluff catchers. You know, so like right now we have one of our worst bluff catchers, a pair of jacks, where our, be- our better bluff catchers would be hands like ace-king, ace-queen that we probably wouldn't three-bet the flop with. And so against a player like this who would demonstrate this kind of behavior, I'm never folding ace-king, ace-queen. And I might even decide to value bet it on the turn, you know, as played. But yeah, a hand like a jack here, if you face a bet on the river, I'm um, just folding. Okay. Well, thank you for writing in. We definitely appreciate the, the animated descriptions and hope to get another hand from you or like like that in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. This was really fun. Hopefully, I'll get to meet Sleepy at some point. I've played with a lot of people who have been falling asleep, but most of them didn't check raise, you know, check raise me a choice with top here, weak kicker. 